Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 will include our series on the law of worship, looking at the first four commandments and what they teach us about our worship. Remember when we started, we talked about that statement, wow, those people know how to worship. And how that statement is often completely disconnected from anything that the Bible teaches us as it relates to worship. And so we've looked at these first four commandments and tried to gather a better understanding of what it is that God expects, requires, and desires of us as his worshipers. We are working from the definition of worship, Bruce Leaflat's definition of worship. True worship happens when we set our mind's attention and heart's affection on the Lord and praise Him for who He is and what He has done. So we worship the Lord in spirit and truth. We don't divorce those things. And then when we talked about the, the idea of the law of worship, the idea that governs us there is the idea that every man must worship the one true living God rightly, reverently, and regularly. Again, from the first four commandments. The first commandment makes it clear every man must worship the true and living God. Without exception, every man must. The second commandment makes it clear we must worship God rightly. The third commandment makes it clear we must worship God reverently. And the fourth commandment makes it clear that we must worship God regularly. So we started looking at the fourth commandment. We looked at the beginning and the end of the fourth commandment. We kind of left the middle because our pattern has been to sort of examine the commandment and then come back and apply the commandment. The application is really found there in the middle. So let's read there again, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. The seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you, or your son, or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and made it holy. Amen. And so, we remember there were three questions that we set out to answer. Three questions that were really essential when we talked about the fourth commandment. One, is there still a Sabbath? And our answer to that question is yes, there is still a Sabbath. And if you remember, there are people who argue against the idea of the Sabbath, but once you understand a covenantal hermeneutic as it relates to the law, and the hermeneutic means the way we interpret scripture, the art and science of interpretation. Once we, once we accepted the idea of, of that covenantal approach to scripture, um, we understand that we have the threefold division of the law, that there is civil law, ceremonial law, and moral law. The Ten Commandments are really a summary of the moral law. The moral law applies to all people in all places at all times. If, therefore, we understand the Ten Commandments as a summary of the moral law, then we can no more remove the Fourth Commandment than we can remove the Sixth or the Eighth or any other of the commandments. So yes, there, there is still 
as sad. The second question that we have to answer is, if so, what day is it? We looked at the fact that there are many people who would argue that there needs to be, uh, I say many people, but very, it's a very small minority of people who profess Christianity. Um, and many of those are in cultic groups. And in fact, that's one of the ways that cults uh, are attractive to people. Uh, the idea that we have a secret that has been unlocked. Um, everybody else is wrong, but, but, but our group is right because, because we've unlocked a secret. Um, and and, and here's, here's something in the scripture. Look, you read it right here. You know, and, and, and we're supposed to be going on Saturday with the rest of the church. They're going on Sunday. We've all missed it because of this, you know, secret thing that happened way back in the third and fourth century, you know, this magical hocus pocus that switched the days and so forth. And, and it's very attractive to uh, a lot of people. But we've answered that, that we gather together and worship on the first day of the week, not the last day of the week, because just like we commemorated creation, right, from the beginning of time to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we commemorate God's redeeming work, this recreation that has happened because our Lord rose on the first day of the week. And the principle in the fourth commandment is one day and seven. This pattern of six days work, one day rest. Six days work, one day worship. That's the pattern that we see. So yes, there is still a Sabbath. The answer to the second question, it is on Sunday, the Lord's Day. And then there's a third question. How then is it to be kept? What, what do we do? And just like the rest of the commandments, I want to present this in a way that addresses the idea of legalism and moralism. In the mornings, we've been looking at Proverbs, Gospel Book and Proverbs, and really attacking moralism. Because the, the, the danger there when we read Proverbs is to come away with moralism, right? Here are the moral principles, here are these truths, and if we just do these things, we'll be better people and we'll have a better life. Of course, the danger when we're reading Exodus is legalism, right? That the way to be right with God is by keeping the law. And, and we said that the moral law is morally binding to all people in all places and all times. Um, therefore, we, we, we must keep the law, right? But if we must keep the law, here's the rules that we follow in keeping the law. But remember our roadmap for understanding the commandments. Jesus, when he preaches in the Sermon on the Mount, upholds the moral law and destroys legalism all at the same time. You've heard it said, not to commit adultery. I say to you that if you look at a woman with muscle intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So Jesus is not saying there, ah, those commandments. We got something new, we got something new. No, yes, that is absolutely right. That is the moral law. We don't commit adultery. But here's what he's saying, that it's deeper than legalism could ever take you. Legalism takes off boxes and says, okay, I've done it. And it completely ignores the heart. Jesus gets beneath the surface there, and he gives us the key to understanding. And so as we've looked at each of these commandments, what we try to do 
is in some ways the same thing that we see Jesus doing there, right? You think that all we need to do is tick some boxes and then we're good, but it goes far deeper than that. And that is also true here in the fourth commandment. We think that if we just tick some boxes, that we will be okay. As long as I don't do ABC and XYZ, Z. <laughs> I still am not going to say Z. But as long as we do that, then, then, then we're fine. And, and my hope and prayer is that we get beneath the surface, just like we try to do our recipes and obliterate that idea. So let me make these key points as we move from the understanding of the commandment to the application of it. Number one, we keep the Sabbath holy by working the other six days. Hmm. We weren't expecting it to go there, were you? That's because, underneath it all, we're all a bunch of legalists. You can't say amen, you don't say ouch. That's one of the things I also wanted to prove with every one of these commandments. That every one of us, under way, way down and somewhere off up in here, is a legalist. Most of us don't want to admit, but we are. I want to know the list of things that I can do so that I can feel secure in my righteousness by keeping the list. And so, we think, yes, application of the fourth commandment, what's that? What's the list of things that I can't do on Sundays? And now here comes this guy going in a completely different direction. But it's in the text. I'm not making this up. The first principle of keeping the Sabbath is working six days and then resting. It's a pattern of life. Verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. It is a pattern of labor and rest, of work and worship. The fourth commandment is not just about finding a list of rules that you can keep on Sunday while completely ignoring the other six days of the week. Where do we start with this commandment? We start with the fact that we work because God works. I said it last week, but it bears repeating. I'll read it again for you. We'll look at it again in Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God, let, God rested from his work that he had done in creation. Now here's the thing. Every time you see rest, you see work. Three times it refers to the Lord's rest, because three times 
it refers to the Lord's work. And so a proper understanding of what it means to keep the Sabbath must include a proper understanding of what it means to be governed by this pattern of work and rest. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. John 9, 3-4 We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Colossians 3, 16-17 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is a wonderful picture of the balance between work and worship. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So this is about worship, right? With thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. See, the fourth commandment doesn't mean here's a list of things that you can't do on Sunday. Here's a list of the attitude that you must bring to the Lord's Day. Here is what you must do as a Christian who remembers the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ so that every week you gather with the saints for this commemoration. But on Monday, you can live with the world and like the world as long as on Sunday you keep your list. Uh, no, no, a thousand times no. We miss it. By the way, that's what legalism does. Legalism is blind. It's blind. And that's what a legalist would do. A legalist would say, I'm right with God because he says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, and on the Lord's day, I'm in church. Now, never mind that on Monday, my character is as corrupt as anyone else in my office. Never mind that on Tuesday, I'm the biggest flirt in my whole company. Never mind that on Wednesday, my mouth is as foul as anybody else that I work with. Never mind that on Thursday, I'm as lazy as anyone in the entire organization. Never mind on Friday that people can't find me because I hide when there's work to be done. Never mind on Saturday I haven't shown up when I gave my word that I would because the only thing that matters is on Sunday I'm in church. I'm keeping the fourth commandment. Do you see how wrong that is? And that's what legalism gets you. Completely blind to the heart of the matter. The person who understands the Sabbath command is a person who understands the way to apply themselves to their work Monday through Saturday as though they are a person who recognizes the God whose work created the world 
and the God whose work created our redemption through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And so that's the first point. We, we, we honor the fourth commandment. We keep the Sabbath first by working those other days. Second, we keep the Sabbath only by refraining from our work on the Lord's day. Verse 10, that the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Again, this commandment is rooted and grounded in the idea of God's balance between His work and His rest. Now, I want to make a point here. And it's a point about legalism, and it's a point about the way that we read this text. People will come here and they will say, Ah, they say it says there, but the seventh day. It says there, it says there, the seventh day. Again, we've already talked about how there's a pattern, right? Six days you labor, one day you rest. Six days you labor, the seventh day you rest. That there's a pattern here. That's the heart of the commandment. But let's just say that we're going to, we're going to read this that wouldn't be, right? So the seventh day. Well, if we're going to read this in that wooden fashion, right? Not the principle, but the literal words. Then what does verse 9 say? Six days you shall labor and do all your work. According to verse 9, if I'm off on Saturday, I'm in sin. Because I'm supposed to work six days, not five. Do, do you follow? Do you see how a wooden reading of the text would have to lead you to that conclusion? But is that the principle of the text? Absolutely not. That is not the principle of the text. The principle of the text is the pattern that governs our lives, the pattern that characterizes our lives. And at the center of our life, is the Lord's day. At the center of our life is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And His resurrection is at the center and forefront of who we are, and we organize everything we are around that. It is the immovable object. The London Baptist Confession. Chapter 22, verse, uh, paragraph 8. The Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord, women, after due preparing of their hearts and adorning their, uh, or ordering their common affairs aforehand, do not only observe a holy rest all day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employments. That's an unfortunate word, and you have to remember this is written in the latter part of the 17th century, right? It was finished writing in 1677. And you can be as wooden about this, which Here's the deal. Have I sinned every time I thought about my work? Well, I hope not, because every time I mentioned your work so far, you probably thought about your work. Do you see how, again, wooden, legalistic, that's not the point here. I'm also taking up the whole time in the public and private exercise of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. We'll talk about those later. But there's the phrase there, that second phrase, 
when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering their common affairs before them. In other words, keeping the Sabbath is not as much about a list of things that you do and don't do on the Lord's Day as it is about having a consciousness of the Lord's Day as being central to your life and then ordering your affairs so that you can honor it. Taking care of the things that you need to take care of in order to observe the Lord's Day. So what does this look like? Let's, let's drill down here and become a little bit more specific. It looks like organizing our lives around the Lord's Day. It looks like saying to ourselves, to our family, that the Lord's Day is the immovable object for us. This is, this is, this is who we are, this is what we do. One of the things, especially back in the U.S., especially in Houston, where we were in Texas in general, sports just huge. Team sports were just everything. And there were some sports, like baseball uh, and soccer, that had these major teams that children could try out for and become a part of, and they were traveling teams. And they would travel around the country and play games, and sometimes for an entire season, four or five month long season, people would not be in church more than a couple of times during that season. Why? Because the immovable object in their life is not the Lord's Day, it's their sports program. And the church is the only one who has to hear, ah, sorry, can't do that, there's something else. Right? The coach never hears that. The coach never hears, ah, sorry, can't do that, Lord's Day. No. He, he never hears that. So, number one, we organize our lives around the Lord's Day, not our Lord's Day around our lives. Two, being diligent to do all our work prior to the Lord's Day and being intentional about this. Being diligent and intentional about getting things done for the Lord's Day. Number three, by not using the Lord's Day as a catch-up day for your work or your rest, etc. I'm, I'm going to hit it hard. I'm, I'm just going to hit it hard because I know that on Sunday, Sunday that's mine, right? I, I can I can catch up on my work, I can catch up on my I can catch up on my I can catch up on my because Sunday's my day. It's my day. Monday through Friday is a work week. Friday night I might get to go do a little something. Saturday tends to be a busy family day. We're going busy this night. But Sunday is my day. No. It's the Lord's day. It's not a catch-all that you allow everything else to spill into. Fourth, by not treating Monday as the sacred day in our week. Because that's what we do. We have to get it done by Monday. Have to get it done by Monday. Let me give you three scenarios. Scenario number one. In all these scenarios, you have a Monday deadline. Scenario number one, there is a Monday deadline. It's an important deadline. And so, if you're a good Christian, you go to church, and then you work all the way through Sunday so that you can be ready for your Monday deadline. But it's okay because you went to church. That's scenario number one. Scenario number two. There's a Monday deadline. So you front load 
your week. And you use Saturday as your catch-all so that you make sure that you do it and exercise enough faith to believe that you can let that go on the Lord's day. And still manage. But we don't believe that. Because Sunday's not the safety day for us. Monday is. Here's the third scenario. This is the legalistic scenario. Well, the Sabbath is really sundown to sundown. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until the sun goes down. The sun's about to go down. Three, two, one, now. We're going to just get all that stuff done so that we can be ready for money. That's the heart of legalism. It's the heart of legalism. You see? So there's multiple ways that we can sin in this regard. Well, we're one of the things that's come up when you get to that. But for now, let this point sink in. We refrain from our work. The fourth commandment doesn't just mean that you, you get to church. It does mean that you get to church, right? Because we remember the Sabbath. What are we remembering? This is another reason that I argue for Sunday, the Lord's Day, for us, right? Because we have something to remember as New Covenant believers that our Old Covenant brethren did not yet have. We have the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the center of our remembrance, which is why for us it's Sunday, not Saturday. We're not just remembering the Old Covenant. We're not just remembering creation. We are remembering God's work and redemption through the person and work of Christ. And so we gather together to remember. So not only are we refraining from our work, but we're engaging in our worship. We're engaging in our worship. We remember. We remember. Again, a legalist can have all the things in the world, right? Get engaged with the, with the Lord's people, you know, maybe once a month or so, or, you know, on special days. But hey, I keep you sad. I don't go to the grocery store. I don't go to whatever, right? That's the heart, the heart of legalism. So first, Remember the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath holy. A way that we engage in our work in that hand or portion of God's. Secondly, secondly, remember by refraining from our work and having enough faith to make the Lord's day the Lord's day. And not a work day. It's not a work day. If you make it to church, I made it to church. You think about that's not that's not the principle of the Lord's Day, right? It's not six days, a couple of hours on one day. That's not the principle. It's not get to the place of remembrance. It is have a pattern of life that is six and one. Amen? Now there are people who do that at different times, there are people who do that in different ways. Again, 
that all of that stuff is freedom. But the pattern is the moral principle. Third, to keep that total by remembering it for ourselves and for those under authority. But listen to this part of the commandment. It's crucial. Verse 10, on it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. Let's consider larger catechism. Question 118. Why is the charge for keeping the Sabbath more especially directed to governors of families and other superiors? Because it is. This commandment is really charged at heads of household and leaders of business and enterprise. Right? The main business and enterprise of the home. So this is this is pointed toward leaders of enterprise and heads of household. So why? The answer. The charge of keeping the Sabbath is more especially directed to governors of families and other superiors because they are bound not only to keep it themselves, but to see that it be observed by all those that are under their charge, and because they are prone oftentimes to hinder them by employments of their own. Because we can hinder people. We can hinder people. Well, I know I believe in the Lord's Day principle. Right? I believe in the Lord's Day principle. Sunday is the Lord's Day. I don't work on the Lord's Day. My main works on the Lord's Day, but I don't work on the Lord's Day. Um, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant. It's, it's kind of in the text. It's just kind of, it's kind of there. Yeah, I don't write the mail, I just deliver. But this is clearly there. This is another example of how legalism can creep in. Right? It's the Lord's day. I believe in the commandment, I believe in the Sabbath, I believe in the Lord's day. I'm not going to work on the Lord's day. I'm going to make other people work for me on the Lord's day. But I'm not going to work. At its very heart, at its very core. It's interesting. There was a there was a business owner uh, preaching a message about this for another context, and there was a business owner who came up to me. It was the most unusual response to a message that I've ever had. And this person came up to me, and their response to the message was that they were going to start working, at least sometimes, on the Lord's Day. Let me say this, they were absolutely correct. Because here's what they were doing, they were a business owner, and their business sometimes had to operate on the Lord's Day. But this person always made the people under him work on the Lord's Day, and never did. Completely looked over verse 10. 
the idea of personal necessity momentarily. But there's something else to it. The idea here is that we have the duty to help, encourage, and allow those under our authority to rest as well. But there's more to this. The implication is that the Sabbath is not just about worship, it is literally about rest. Because even our animals are given that rest. Even the land, if you read your Old Testament, even the land is given a Sabbath rest. We, we need rest. If you don't believe me, just go, start working, and decide that you're not going to stop. Your body will stop you. Amen? Because we need to rest. The need for rest reminds us of our humanity. It reminds us of our frailty. And it reminds us of our dependence upon God. So, again, it brings about remembrance. Remembrance. Even our Lord, in taking on full humanity, took on this need for rest. He grew weary. And he had to rest. You remember when they're in the boat? Mark chapter 4, beginning verse 36. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Another boat were with a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Why? Because he was tired after a long day of ministry. He cloaked himself in full humanity, which means he had the need for us. So this is a pattern of our life that causes us to remember God in creation and in redemption. And it also causes us to remember our own frailty, weakness, humanity, and need for being redeemed ourselves. Although keeping this Sabbath and honoring the Sabbath is important for us and those under our authority. This does not mean that we have the need, the ability, or the authority to judge how others honor or recognize the Lord's Day. We have certain convictions ourselves about what we ought to do, what we ought not to do. And, and, and we should live in accordance with those convictions. But not everyone has the same convictions as you. And it's not necessarily as clear as we think it is. You, you, you may think that, uh, like some in Israel thought, walking a certain distance might constitute a, an unnecessary working on the Lord's day. You, you may think that, um, 
doing the dishes might constitute inappropriate work on Lord's Day. By the way, I don't just throw that out there. I have met people who do not do the dishes on Sunday because they believe that that constitutes a violation of the Fourth Commandment because washing the dishes is work. Or even cooking the meal is work. If the meal is already cooked, you can warm it up, but you can't cook the meal from the beginning. Again, if you ask me, we're, we're, we're creeping over into legalism again. But here's my point. If you are convinced, convinced that you can warm up a meal but not cook one, and that you can eat and put the dishes in the sink but not wash them, then knock yourself out. But don't come to my house questioning my Christianity because I don't hold to that particular understanding. Do you follow? There's a difference. Now, if you and your house are going to go there, you feel like you need to go there, you got to you. But there's a difference. Sabbath keeping it holy also makes room for works of mercy and necessity. For works of mercy and necessity. We saw that in the in our confession. Does it mean Jesus is with his disciples and you're eating ears of corn and the Pharisees come up and say, uh-uh. Can't do that. That's that's work. Jesus even refers back to David and how David fed his men. Because the Pharisees were being legalists and they were completely missing the principle. When Jesus healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, he asked him a question. Do you have a sheep? And it's in the ditch on the Sabbath. Do you leave him in there or do you get him out? Obviously, you get him out, right? Acts of mercy and necessity. Do you feed your animals on that day? Yes, you feed your animals on that day. That's an act of necessity. Do you feed yourself on that day? Yes, that's an act of necessity. And so what do I mean when I'm talking about acts of mercy and necessity? Let me just give you a few, a few things. Feeding your animals, feeding your family, driving. Walking to church. No one should have a business that operates on the Lord's Day. Really? Some of our people get here on public transportation. Should there not be public transportation? Some of our guests are from out of town and they're staying in hotels. Should the hotel put them out on Sunday? If the church catches on fire today, should we just stay here and watch it burn because the fire brigade is observing the Sabbath, or would that be a work of mercy and necessity? If someone falls ill today, are we going to judge the doctor who treats them because it is the Sabbath, or are we going to understand that that's an act of mercy and necessity? All businesses ought to be closed today. Well, that person is now sick and they need to go to the pharmacy or to the chemist. 
Do we judge the pharmacy or the chemist for being open so that if somebody on the Lord's day needs some medication, they can give you do Are you following me? This is what I mean by acts of mercy and necessity. I thought about this, it's interesting. Because on, on last week, um, I, I, I won't go too much into it because I won't. But I picked up one of our vehicles here last week. Somebody had it, was helping us with some things. And they said to me, fuel light is on. As in, you know. Petrol, gone. And so we were riding on the way home, and I stopped and bought petrol and put it into the vehicle. And I thought about this, this is interesting, because next week, next week is the application of the fourth commandment. And there might be people who ride by and you know, look, look, look at Pastor He's on the Lord's Day, and he's put petrol in his vehicle. Then you know you're supposed to organize your life beforehand so if you need petrol, you get it on Saturday. You don't have to get it on Sunday. But if you get your car back from somebody on Sunday and that light is on, am I more holy if I put petrol in my vehicle or if we walk? <laughs> that was an act of mercy and necessity. Amen? But this goes back to the principle about judging people. Again, be very, very, very careful. Because sometimes there are acts of mercy and necessity. There are some people, for example, who talk about traveling on the Lord's day. And there are some people who say, you know, no, I, I just I don't do that. Um, I have a principle and a policy. We have this in my family. When I'm traveling for ministry, when I'm done with ministry, I get on the first thing smoking going back home. That's that's just right. If I am, you know, in the US or somewhere else in Zambia and I'm preaching on Sunday morning and I've got nothing that evening, I'm on my way home. I'm not going to sit there and spend another half day when I can be heading home. Simply so I can be a legalist who says, well, no, it's the Lord's day. You don't travel on the Lord's day. No. Mercy and necessity. I'm going on. You see? So, the, the idea here is there's one approach that we can have. Here's a list of things that you cannot do and there's a list of things that you must do. Keep the list and you're good. That wasn't true of any of the other commandments. It's not true of this one. The heart of the matter. How do we organize and structure our lives? What is the immovable object? What, 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 what is that? What is that space? What is that day? What is that time? Where you say these things can't happen. And from a good perspective, it's a little bit. Says these things can't happen. Again, people will find different ways to express this. But the principle is, is undeniable. 
and even in space. There is a reason that the Lord brings us back to this again and again and again. And that is because we have a tendency to forget. And we need to be reminded again and again and again. I've had people ask me, and if you have friends who are not Christians, you've probably had people ask you, right? Why do I do that anyway? Because there are people who, who would consider themselves Christian, but the only times they would dawn the door of the church is if, you know, life is just going so badly that they don't know where else to turn, and they'll come to church hoping that the Lord will see them and smile on them and make things better, right? But but they have they have no comprehension of why it is that you would need to go and do that over and over and over again. And yet, for those of us who belong to the world, and for those of us for whom this is a regular pattern of life, we can't conceive of life alone. Amen? Need to be reminded. Heard thousands and thousands and thousands of sermons, but every one of them, the, the Lord uses. Amen? He reminds us, he teaches us, he rebukes us, he renews us over and over and over and over again as we continue this remembrance and as we live our lives in this remembrance. And that's good news because we're going to spend eternity in that side of rest and in what we I promise you, we won't be long. His time is good. His mercy is everlasting. Thank you.